Software Engineering Radio Episode 103, 10 Years of Agile with Jens Koldewey. This is Software Engineering Radio, the podcast for professional developers on the web at se-radio.net. SE Radio brings you relevant and detailed discussions and interviews on software engineering topics every 10 days. Thanks to our audience and the partners listed on our website for supporting the podcast. Welcome listeners to a new episode of Software Engineering Radio. In this episode, we're going to talk to Jens Koldewey um, about the introduction of agile development practices, processes, stuff into uh, projects, environments, companies. Um, we were you're we also using a new uh, set of microphones which I just wanted to mention because we've bought them from your donations so please keep them coming um, okay so uh, welcome everybody to show welcome Jens welcome Markus so why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and give us an overview of what you're doing and and why you're here today and talk about this topic well I'm an independent consultant from Munich in Germany and I've started to uh, use Agile development uh, while I was doing consultancy for uh, object-oriented programming and design. And uh, that was in 1998 mm -hmm. uh, when I got into contact with the ideas of, well, lightweight processes, what we called it at that time. And over time, I figured out that it is much more important uh, really to um, work in an agile way to be successful than to know the details of object-oriented development. Mm -hmm. And so I started to switch over and consult primarily in introducing agile development into organizations, um, first into projects, now into organizations, mm -hmm. and um, learn from that. So our listeners probably know some of the agile development processes, I don't know, XP, Crystal, XYZ, <laughs> or Scrum or something. Which of those are you typically working with? I'm typically using elements of all of them. I think all of these uh, different methods are actually uh, views from different perspectives on the same thing. And the same thing is something like an agile development. Uh, there are some uh, interesting practices you can pick from each of them, uh, especially the development practices you can pick from uh, extreme programming, some management practices you can pick from Scrum. But I don't think uh, that agile development is something you take out of the box and put into operation. Agile development is more a kind of mindset mm -hmm. for the management and for the team. And so introducing agile development is much more than introducing a new process. It's introducing a new mindset into an organization. Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting to hear because other people, when they talk about XP, basically say that you cannot use... Uh, practices from XP independent of other practices because they all build on each other. So, um, so it's interesting to hear that you're picking some of them and and using them in a in a otherwise made up process. Well, some practices belong together and you can't really uh, tear them apart. You can't do any refactoring without uh, test driven development, right. and you can't do test driven development without refactoring. They just belong together. Mm -hmm. um, other practices uh, like the planning practices are just optional. Mm -hmm. So um, you can still uh, use, for example, user stories and use cases um, for your analysis and then uh, go into an extreme, um, extreme style of working. So uh, you have to know which practices belong to each other and how. 
And the next problem is if you introduce something, you can't, or it's, well, you can, but that's usually really hard and um, it has a lot of uh, resistance if you try to introduce all of these <coughs> practices at once. Mm -hmm. You may have teams that are really fond of making uh, frontier things and trying that stuff, but usually you have to introduce things step by step. And so that's a delicate balance you have to do. I guess there's also a difference between more hands-on practices like testing or refactoring and on the other hand side, more organizational large-scale things. And I guess for some of, well, I guess you can do testing without being officially in an agile process. So I guess this is another distinction where it's probably differently, uh, it's, it's easier to introduce some of them and not so easy to introduce others. I'm not sure about that because... Um All the practices, no matter how you fit them together and which you pick, all the practices are actually about uh, fast delivery over a long period. Mm -hmm. So uh, enabling the team to deliver value very fast, but also to deliver very value for years mm -hmm. without uh, getting into some uh, mess. And um, this is more about mindset. And if you uh, manage to get this mindset into the team, then the rest of the practice will evolve mm -hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. That's just the way the XP team did that at the Christ Project. Uh, what actually was coined XP was a set of 12 practices out of about 50 they used. Ah, yeah, okay. So um, it's more or less arbitrary. Well, they, could, they did a very good job picking good practice out of that. Uh, but I've never seen two different uh, Agile teams working uh, the same way. Mm-hmm. So it's it's also about people working in there. It's about uh, um, the organiza organizational embedding mm -hmm. of the team. Yeah, that's what I meant. But you know, I, I thought that if you need, if you want to, if you decide to do a, whatever six week iterations or four week iterations, right. and that means you have to change the whole project structure. Yeah, you, you have to change the project structure. You have to even uh, go down and change the uh, um, system of incentives you have in a company. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, since you usually come to one point uh, where it's really hard to change that, um, the higher you get up in ma management, um, you won't always come up with a perfect agile mm. way to work. Okay, so in this episode, we are going to focus on going from traditional, whatever that is, development processes to agile development processes. I mean, based on what you just said, introducing Agile requires change. So the challenge is not so much to probably sustain an Agile development process once it's probably implanted. The problem is to, to actually get there. Right. Why can't you give us a little bit of an overview of how to do this and then we'll step through a couple of details? Well, there are actually uh, 13 steps. Well, no, there are not 13 <laughs> steps. <laughs> Manager tools, you know the problem. Right. <laughs> The first thing you have to do is uh, really to understand how the team currently works. Uh, I'm not these kind of consultants who come in, don't look at the team, and just say, okay, here's the way to work, mm -hmm. and uh, leave again, and uh, afterwards tell people why it didn't work. And why it wasn't their fault. Right. <laughs> why it was their fault and not mine. No. <laughs> th th that's not my yeah. way of working. So the um, first step is really to understand the uh, culture of a team. You go in and uh, try to understand what are the values mm -hmm. and uh, what are values that uh, keep you from being agile. Uh, mm -hmm. Kent Beck once said, all methodology is driven by fear. And so the um, 
the basic question is how much fear is there and why do people fear uh, being late because of some uh, because they have this record of always being late mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so you can address this fear and say okay uh, if if you're afraid of being late why don't we try to be much earlier than you thought mm -hmm. and when you're still mm -hmm. late who cares mm -hmm. um, if you find some bad management practices um, for example I had clients where the uh, where two managers were trying to fight each other and mm -hmm. were competing with each other and the teams had to work together and that did not work out so these are things you have to address first and by the way you, you still try to um, um, bring new practices into that all the time mm -hmm. if you have a, a team that is very proud of his current way of work you have to make sure that you don't change the team but the change, team changes itself mm -hmm. uh, so you don't impose changes you just suppose changes mm -hmm. if you have a team that is currently working or looking for a new way to work well then you can just say okay here's one suggestion go that 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 mm -hmm. and uh, just try that so it's about it's about convincing them that they want to do it differently as opposed right. to coming with a book and say, read this, that's the way to do it. Right, right. I've never met a team that would have liked to have someone coming in and say, okay, everything you do is crap, do it that way. Mm. And th this is one of the problems. If you have low-qualified team, they're usually eager to change because mm -hmm. they see that it doesn't work, but uh, they're still low-qualified Uh, if you have a very highly qualified team, it's really hard to tell them why should they should change. Mm -hmm. So either you have a team in crisis, um, then you're, it's easy to change, but still, well, agile is not a silver bullet. Uh, you still mm -hmm. have to deal with the crisis. So you have to do much more than introducing a new process. Or you have a team that really uh, works in a steady way of working and uh, where the management wants to improve some things. And the team says, well, we worked successfully for 10 years. Why don't you? Why should we change? There is this interesting uh, research thing that I saw once where um, various stakeholders in a project were asked whether a project that officially failed was a success or not. Right. And uh, probably you know it. So the developers liked it because they could learn all kinds of new technologies and put it onto their CV. And so everybody had a different perception of whether the project was a success or whether it failed and why. That's a very interesting quote from uh, Thomas Edison uh, when he invented the, the light bulb. Guy. Light bulb, right. And he was asked, uh, how could you bear failing for a thousand times before you've had your first successful light bulbs? And he said, well, I did not fail. I just eliminated ways that did not work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so the um, approach to failure and the approach to bugs you invariably do Uh, is one of the things you have to change in most teams. Mm -hmm. um, most developers are educated still today that if you work good and sound and scientific and blah, 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 then you don't make mistakes, mm -hmm. which is, well, Nonsense, yeah. bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, we've prepared, or you've prepared, a bunch of uh, examples right. from your 10-year career in this space. And the plan is that we're going to go through some of them and take those, take, look at the lessons learned from them. So the first one um, is called basically a process workshop. Actually, I don't know why it's called that way. So why don't you give us an, an introduction about the first uh, example and, and, and what you learned from it? Well, the first example was um, the team I learned how to work agile together with them. Mm -hmm. I came in there as an OO coach. Mm -hmm. 
the team had um, some experience with traditional host style development, mm -hmm. COBOL PL1. So that, that was when? Which year? That was in uh, 1998. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's 10 years ago now. Yep. And I came in with a record of um, having crashed a project um, where I imposed the style of working onto mm -hmm. the team. So uh, I knew what I didn't want. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to impose anything on them. Mm -hmm. I, want, I really wanted to take their experience. And I also came in with some ideas Alistair Coburn had implanted into me uh, about uh, very short iterations. Mm -hmm. uh, by that time, very short iterations meant uh, eight to uh, 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. Today I would call it iteration one week, but mm -hmm. <laughs> we started to learn at that time. <laughs> so my attempt was um, to get the team together in a workshop and saying, okay, um, we have this official OO process of your company, which uh, would conclude about 211 reviews before you write the first line of code. But we don't need to follow them. Uh, what we can do is uh, we just deliver fast. So we deliver after eight weeks and think about the process together. So we have this workshop. I call that process workshop. Today, we I would rather call that retrospective. Yeah. And um, I thought you did that. You did that at the beginning, and you do retrospective at the end, I guess. Well, uh, you do retrospective at at the beginning of each new iteration. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, but you have so. to have something to look back. Right, yeah. So, so what I did there was I uh, said, okay, look back at the right. projects you did by now. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of experience and uh, collect anything uh, that made you faster, uh, any practice you can think of, any support, and collect anything that made you slower. And we put that on pin boards and uh, it took us about one day to set up uh, a process that was uh, at in that measures we didn't have the word by that mm. but which was which was quite agile mm -hmm. so uh, they had very close uh, collaboration to the uh, domain experts mm -hmm. uh, we were lucky to have one domain expert in the team full time and mm -hmm. the others other developers were also experienced in so the domain customer on site I'd call that domain also. expert on site. Which is, by the way, more realistic <laughs> than customer, which never works, kind of. Right? Well, um, there is much of research on the uh, customer role in XP, and okay. uh, I think it's one of the uh, great ideas uh, that don't really work in full. So so let me ask something briefly. You said there was this OO process with the 211 documents, and right, you said right. we, you didn't have to follow it. Who decided that? Did you have management <laughs> backing or was that just you decided, let's forget it, we just proved that we can do it differently? Well, I thought we had some management backing um, and the basic idea here was uh, um, this company was ISO 9000 compliant. Mm -hmm. So how would you fit something like that into an ISO 9000 compliant? Mm -hmm. And the uh, basic thing about ISO 9000 is that you have to have a documented process to, work, to follow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I said, uh, we're going to declare the first iteration as a prototype. Even in the uh, most ISO 9000 company, uh, a prototype is something you can do. Mm -hmm, sure. And you don't have to follow the process. Mm -hmm. And after that process, uh, we're going to uh, have an external audit. Mm -hmm. So uh, I asked Alistair Coburn to do an audit of that pro mm -hmm. pro project. 
and um, we got an audit report of about two pages saying, well, <laughs> it's it's a great way to work, and here and there I would suggest improvement. And with this stuff, we went to the QA and said, okay, guys, um, do you really think we shouldn't do this? And, well, we have to check that. And when they were ready with checking, we had about three iterations running. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the managers had this CD with the system on their table. <laughs> yeah. And eventually nobody really listened to QA anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the way, this saved the life of the project several times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, we had this, let's call it retrospective to have it comply right. with, the, yeah. with today's terminology. Yep. Uh, we had this retrospective as the kind of the driving power. With every iteration, we did this retrospective at least for two years. Mm -hmm. And uh, the team changed the process. W one of my favorite parts in here was that in the first uh, process, there was still uh, the design model. Mm -hmm. So they still said, okay, uh, we want to do this uh, wrap design model using rational rows. Uh, at the end of the first iteration, um, I came up and said, well, guys, I looked at this uh, design model we have. It's still in the state uh, that it had when we started. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we have to update that. And so they updated this design model. And uh, at the second iteration, I at the end, I said, well, guys, we still have this model and it's still in the state at the end of the first iteration. <laughs> And they said, well, maybe if we have time, we have to update that. And it took another iteration until we officially <laughs> canceled that because no one looked at that. Yeah. And that was an interesting experience. Uh, I hadn't worked without a design model before. You had not? I, I did not do that before. Okay. That was still at the times when um, Don Roberts was working at the uh, Smalltalk refactoring browser. And so mm -hmm. we, we didn't have these nitty-gritty tools. Yeah, we no Eclipse. Today. Yeah, no, no Eclipse. How uh, to imagine. C complete, uh, do what I mean uh, at a mouse click. We didn't have that. Yeah. Well, we had Smalltalk, which helped it a lot. Was it a Smalltalk project? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. The core was Smalltalk. We did some parts in uh, ANSI C. We did some small parts in uh, PL1. We later did some parts even in Java. Mm -hmm. But the core was a Smalltalk. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I had never worked without a design model, and I learned, I had to learn myself how to work without a design model. Mm -hmm. um, and that was an interesting experience for me because I had the learning experience, the team had the learning experience, and that uh, prevented me from going faster than the team. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is uh, some of the problems I still have to struggle today. I came in, well, I did lots and lots of really complicated refactorings today. And you start with a team that has no clue of what refactoring is about. Well, they know that you can rename a method, mm. but they have no clue about this experience when the uh, design suddenly starts to kind of, or a messed up design suddenly starts to dilute mm -hmm. and uh, a clear design emerges. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we hadn't had that at that time. And uh, so I introduced some of these techniques just like a submarine. Mm -hmm. We had this testing issues. And I had a little bit of experience with automatic testing. So um, I downloaded what we at that time called uh, Kent Beck's testing framework, mm -hmm. which was uh, 
later uh, transferred to Java by Ken Beck yeah. and Eric Gummer. Mm -hmm. On and the plane, Eric explained that in an episode before with lots of whatever alcohol they I'm doodler, I I'm doodler, I guess. <laughs> Austrian Airways, but that's just an aside. <laughs> well, I'm doodless without alcohol, actually. <laughs> really? Oh, so I'm not... Well, whatever it was. Let's go back to listen to this episode. I think it's 81. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so today this is uh, known as S-Unit. Yeah. And this had two effects on me. It was one of the best pieces of uh, small talk code I'd ever seen. So I had a lot of uh, learning experience about how to program small talk. Mm. And on the other way... Uh, I said, okay, I won't do just consulting. I want to do programming too. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had one of my parts off the critical path and I did that using this testing framework mm -hmm. and uh, I had some conversations with Paul Dyson at that time and he said, well, I have seen this very interesting demo. I think it was of Kent Beck and uh, Mike Feathers and they actually do programming in the debugger. And I thought, well, that's a neat idea. So I started to do programming in a debugger, um, which uh, worked extremely well, or worked extremely well in Smalltalk at that time. Um, I've never experienced such good debugger <laughs> until mm -hmm. now. Yeah, sure. And uh, so that was the way I started with test-driven development. Mm -hmm. And I showed the, uh, some of the other programmers, uh, well, I have this uh, test case, and look here, I just hit this button, and then uh, we have this green bar. And they said, well, oh, well, that's neat. And uh, another one started uh, writing tests. And uh, so this test idea of test-driven development spread through mm -hmm. the team like cancer. And uh, when <coughs> we did a retrospective, I think five years later, they said without the test-driven development, we would have failed mm -hmm. technically. Mm -hmm. So th this was actually the, our backbone and uh, anything else, we could have done it or not, but this was the essential mm -hmm. thing. So what were some of the lessons learned you, you learned from that project? I think the m most important lessons, lesson was really to put the team into responsibility, mm -hmm. which means uh, two sides. One, uh, really put the decision about the process onto them, and the other is uh, make sure that they uh, also have to take the consequences. Mm -hmm. This idea of s just starting with ret retrospectives and doing that is something I learned later is the also the core idea of Crystal Clear. Mm -hmm. So um, this project is actually, uh, or I learned later that this project was one of the references of Alistair Coburn for Crystal Clear project, <laughs> 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 which, which actually uh, had the... Uh, positive part that uh, I got a certification as certified crystal practitioner. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this was one of the most important uh, lessons. Don't you ever run without retrospectives and uh, use the retrospectives as the core tool de to develop the process. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something that's actually very important, that is to develop the process. Right. I never talk about agile processes because these are no processes in the common sense. Mm -hmm. A common sense process is something an organization imposes onto the teams. Mm -hmm. uh, if you work in an agile way, the process is uh, proprietary of the team. Mm -hmm. So the team is allowed to change the process whenever they think that helps. Mm -hmm. 
Of course, they have to uh, respect all the forces on a process, which yeah. is also things like reporting, which is a collaboration with other teams of the organization. Yeah, so like the external interface has to be stable. Uh, it has to be regarded. It doesn't yeah. need to be stable well, okay. necessarily, but uh, you have to take care of that. Yeah. You must not break the external interface. Yeah. But these are only parts of the forces. And uh, the team is of in responsibility of having a good process. And it's much more important that the team identifies with the process than that they stick to certain rules. Mm. Because if they identify with the process and someone does not stick to the rules, well, either it's a good idea because this strange guy starts to do testing first mm -hmm. and others start to go on to that. That's like evolution. Mm. Or it's a bad idea. So uh, the team will start to um, look for the consequences and say, okay, because you changed th this and that rule, we had this and that problem in the retrospectives. So putting a lot of responsibility onto the team, are there any characteristics the team must bring or have? One thing that comes to mind, for example, is a certain level of motivation and willingness to actually finish which I've been in projects where that wasn't really the case. They were all demotivated and actually didn't really care about what's going on. If they are demotivated, that's the first thing you can work on. And there's no process that can make a demotivated team succeed. You first have to make sure the team works as a yeah. team and then you can do the right. next steps. Right. So team building measures uh, is something you have to do all the time. And uh, I've seen really demotivated teams um, that started to develop motivation once they saw they could move something. Mm. So uh, you, you really have to figure out where comes the demotivation from and uh, you have to work on that. If um, You can start with a demotivated team, but you can't succeed or finish with a demotivated team. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the other thing, um, well, demotivation is one important thing you have to care about. The other thing, what I learned in, the, in that project was uh, if you have extensive... Uh, Uh, rules, process rules in an organization, mm -hmm. that is not necessarily something uh, you have to uh, give up. You have to be creative in uh, working around them. You have to be creative. You, have, you really have to understand who imposes this process and why. Mm -hmm. And one thing that is really sexy, at least to domain managers, is success. Mm. So once the managers see that uh, this C team delivers results process becomes much less important. I, I, yeah. you, as you said, it's like fear or control imposed from the external world. And if, if they notice the team works, then they probably don't care. Right. And, uh, well, some managers are more relaxed about that, some are less. Um, <laughs> but I've never seen a manager that w would not eventually give up to success. Mm -hmm. yeah. The next project was um, what? Well, it wasn't the next one. It was uh, one I took out because it wasn't. Uh, it utterly failed. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, the next project we're going to talk about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Not that, yeah, sure. Well, it, it was a software company uh, developing a product. Um, a team of about uh, 20 people, um, the core development team plus support and all mm -hmm. that stuff around that. And um, they were in severe trouble um, because people started to sue them. Uh, they had... Uh, you mean legally? Legally, yeah. yeah. They had spent money for uh, features they never received. Uh, there was nothing like a roadmap. Um, no way the team uh, could really deliver what they promised. Mm -hmm. And so they said, by the way, we have very little money 
uh, so what is the least thing you could do to help? And I was thinking about uh, the success I had before and thought, well, uh, th let's try to have uh, just monthly iterations and retrospectives. Well, no, uh, the complete team putting them into workshop is too mm -hmm. expensive I've for us. that before. And so, um, well, uh, but if, if you can help us do the planning iteratively, that would really help. Yeah. So um, I was kind of tempted because I didn't have too much time anyhow at that time. So I said, okay, let's have uh, two days a month uh, of planning. Mm -hmm. And this uh, planning sessions, uh, the uh, chief programmer was there and uh, someone, well, we would call product owner. And uh, the uh, project lead and the uh, marketing guy. And they were sitting together and uh, they had long lists. And what we actually did was we uh, went through this list, prioritized them. Uh, I told them how to draw the waterline, so to how to do the estimation, how, how much mm -hmm. you can do for one iteration. And uh, then after one month, we met again and they made some progress. And uh, so I thought, well, this kind of works. And after another two months, Uh, they came up and said, well, we have this business consulting consultant here and he said this is not enough and thank you for your work and he's going to do the project lead and going to change anything. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what this guy was, uh, he set up to, um, some kind of, uh, I think, V model or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, to my knowledge, this company still exists. They still struggle mm -hmm. and they're still uh, far away from working agile. Mm -hmm. And why do you think uh, your um, attempt failed? Well, I, th I think this other consultant was right. It was too late and it was too little of a change. Mm -hmm. So uh, I shouldn't have gone in there uh, with just these uh, very little drops. Yep. So you have to do more than just meeting once a month mm -hmm. and help the team. Yeah. Th there is there's a starting phase where you have to implement the ideas where, and where you have to help the people to come over the first obstacles. Is it also that the team has to get the impression that you are in the same boat with them? Like, if you are like full time working for this company, your own quote salary depends on the success. If you just come there like once or twice a month, you know, like talk the nice talk and and then go again, you might not have the the necessary uh, credibility with the team. Well, working full time is one well, way to uh, become the credibility. Um, I think the other thing uh, is the developers and the managers have to see success. Mm. And you have to spend enough time to enable them for success. I usually try to have about two teams um, in parallel. So I rarely spend more than two to three days a week with the team. Mm -hmm. But that's enough. Mm -hmm. okay. And you really have to... Stick with them even if things get tough. Yeah. If, if you just lay back and say, well, that's all your fault, <laughs> yeah, then you're lost. So you have to have credibility, uh, but you don't need to work full-time okay. with them. Okay. Right. So uh, the next example uh, focuses on test-driven development. Yeah, I've, I've picked that uh, project because uh, that was kind of... Uh, completely different way. I, I did not start from the management perspective. I did not start from the process perspective. Mm -hmm. I started from the technical perspective. Uh, the background was um, um, a severely struggling project. Um, it was, I think, a 200-person project, one of these very large things uh, with um, a financial service company. 
and um, they had forgotten a complete piece of their architecture um, w on which all the other teams uh, relied. Mm -hmm. And all the other teams were close to delivery. They said, well, w we are going to be ready in three months, uh, but only if this special piece of architecture will be there in six weeks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and no one had ever thought about this piece of architecture because they had thought they could buy it. Mm -hmm. But they couldn't because they had some uh, very tight um, requirements there and no uh, of these um, tools on the market were even able to go near these requirements. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so um, the eventually the uh, responsible executive figured out that they had a problem and uh, he knew that uh, I had built stuff like that before and so he called me in and I said, okay, um, I'm doing this under one um, precondition. Uh, I don't want to talk about process. I want to work this team mm. the way I think is right. And um, this sub-team, it was only a small team of three or four people mm -hmm. who took responsibility for this piece of the architecture. And um, anything that uh, helps them to deliver is okay. I won't, don't want to have any discussions on ISO 9000 or CMM or mm -hmm. whatever. And he said, well, as long as you deliver and uh, we can't see afterwards how you worked, mm. <laughs> anything is fine with me. Mm -hmm. So I had a kind of process backup from upper management, from the executive level. And um, I immediately started with them doing test-driven development. So what they had done uh, was a kind of small prototype. And... Um, They said, well, this is some of the ideas and um, now we start from the scratch and build this thing right. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, you have something that at least kind of works here. Mm -hmm. We took two days to encapsulate uh, or back up that with test cases. Mm -hmm. That was uh, one of the early Java projects. So we used JUnit, we uh, backed that up and then we, uh, we started to refactor what they had mm -hmm into the direction uh, we wanted to have. And as a result, it took us, well, eight weeks uh, until we delivered the first part of the architecture that was enough for them to work. They had um, lots and lots of really strange requirements uh, <laughs> no one had done before. And so we said, okay, we're, first we're going to do what is standard. So you have the interface to work, and then we're going to talk about the rest. Mm. So what actually happened was after eight weeks, we uh, delivered. They were really surprised to see anyone deliver because no one had delivered before, at least not working code. Mm -hmm. And uh, that Well, was what else could you deliver if not documents. working code? Ah, okay. Just so to clarify. Do documents, UML <laughs> diagrams. We, uh, you could pave the wall with uh, tapestry of UML models mm -hmm. there. Uh, but the uh, working code actually was this minor thing in the end. And they only was wait waiting for us so they could start. And so they started and, uh, well, it wasn't four weeks. It was actually two years later that they delivered the first uh, code that could go into production. So w um, With this component that everybody well, depended on. Uh, yeah, well, our, our component uh, was running after eight weeks. Yeah, that's we what I meant. And the other guys took another two years. Right, yeah. yeah. And uh, we then cut them down and said, okay, what are the next steps for us? We want the next steps we can do for the next four weeks. Mm -hmm. And, okay, we're going to talk later about this nitty-gritty interesting academic stuff, but what do you need for the next four weeks? And um, so we delivered that, and 
in time, I think a little bit before time, uh, without any severe error in there. Then they said, uh, well, uh, you're not finished because you have to write the documentation. So we said, okay, what is more important, documentation or this nitty-gritty yep. stuff? And they said, well, this time we really need the documentation. And uh, we said, okay, we'll write documentation. Yep. And this really interesting academic stuff never was built, actually. So uh, what we had done was uh, we had stolen their most important excuse for not delivering. And that was an interesting dynamic in the team. So what were the lessons learned from there? One of the lessons was uh, once the programmers are infected with test-driven development, uh, they will go on using that. Mm -hmm. This team wanted to move on using test-driven development. When we had finished that sub-project, uh, they were put to other parts of that project where they did not use test-driven development mm -hmm. at all, where they still had this waterfall method of working. And they tried to... Introduced test-driven development, they failed and they left the company mm -hmm. and worked somewhere where could, they could use test-driven mm -hmm. development. Yeah. So once developers are really infected and had success with test-driven development, there's no way back. Mm -hmm. um, the other lesson was that the whole organization did not change at all. So <laughs> if you have a pure technical approach, mm -hmm. uh, your organization won't work or won't change, and that won't be a sustainable change. Mm -hmm. In other words, if the environment becomes uh, adversar adversarial again, so you have to kind of change your external interface in a way that's kind of incompatible with your agile team, then there's a problem. Right. You really have to change the organization around that. You have to change the management mindset. There's no such thing as a purely technical-driven approach to introducing agile development. I would uh, even argue that that's true for whatever you want to introduce on a technical level. I, as people might know, I'm, I'm like this model-driven person and I always have the same problem that I want to introduce certain model-driven things, which is in some way comparable to test-driven. It's a technical aspect of the system, of building the system. And if you don't, if you don't arrange for a suitable environment and management and project structure, it's not going to be successful. Well, I think uh, from a certain level there are a management is compatible with lots of technical approaches. If you use uh, object-oriented uh, well, development or, or others or a procedure development, sure. from a certain management level, this only matters in yes. ways of productivity. Yeah. So you can change that from technical approach. Things like model-driven development, ZOA, Agile, uh, these all have organizational implications. Yeah. Yeah. And sure. you will fail if you don't do that. Yeah. And what actually happened here was, well, uh, I think Gérard Mazaros was the one who said that if you can, can't change your company you will change your company mm. and this <laughs> is what the developers did yeah. so uh, we succeeded in having a really sustainable change with the developers the company didn't change so the company lost some of their best people mm -hmm. yes so in the last example you gave you you uh, presented an example where you did not or you weren't you weren't able or not it wasn't necessary or whatever to change your organization of um, of the that hosted the project you just changed quote an implementation detail which was in this case testing um, the next example is the opposite where uh, the focus was on changing the organization well it was a medium sized organization actually uh, a product um, supplier with about uh, 60 people working in there mm -hmm. and uh, I, I like the heading of that spaghetti a la chef because what happened there was that the uh, CEO still programmed mm -hmm. so uh, <laughs> 
this system was his baby. Uh, he was one of the, I think, brightest persons I've ever met mm -hmm. uh, in uh, terms of how fast <coughs> he, he could understand uh, new um, analytical things. Mm -hmm. But he, he was not... Uh, really blessed according uh, setting up organizations. So he was a chaotic genius. Kind of that, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he had set up this uh, interesting piece of software and uh, they had eventually found out that they were not able to deal with uh, all the bugs and new requirements anymore. Mm -hmm. So they had a huge backlog and they had reacted to that by hiring uh, um I think about 10 new developers. There were three developers first and they had 10 new programmers mm -hmm. uh, and thought that would solve, solve their problems. Mm -hmm. And after one year, they had found that things had even gone worse, yeah. which is no surprise. Yeah. And so they uh, called me and Johannes Link mm -hmm. and uh, they said to us, well, we read this interesting stuff about XP. And so please do introduce XP now. <laughs> And so uh, we took about eight weeks to really understand how this company works. And we figured out that uh, they had very, very deep organizational issues. Mm -hmm. Everyone in the company was uh, convinced that the programmers were not working fast enough. Mm -hmm. um, there was no organized way how requirements come from the client into the product. Yep. So they had these key account managers uh, and the key account managers were fighting against each other to get development resources. <laughs> and um, the development itself was very crabby because the code was spaghetti code. Um, very traditional uh, database-driven spaghetti code mm -hmm. in C++. So we th there was no planning discipline at all mm -hmm. on no level. So we had neither had strategic planning nor did we have anything like release planning or iterations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Just basically went on in one big stream of hacking and, and that's some... A big yeah. ball of mud, yeah. <laughs> actually. <laughs> and uh, so the first thing we did was uh, to set up a complete picture of the system and saying, okay, uh, currently you, you think development is too slow. But the problem is not that development is too slow. The problem is that development is not effective enough. Mm. You have too much uh, uh, bugs in there. The quality is way too low. Uh, there's no prioritization on terms of what new um, requirements mean for the company, mm -hmm. for the organization. Yep. And um, all that stuff is missing. And so uh, we're going to do two things. We're going to split the development team into two parts. One team is going to start in an XP style. The other team is going to continue with the way they work. Mm -hmm. They do start some test-driven development when they think it's appropriate. But we're going to work with the requirements process. Mm -hmm. We're going to work with the key account managers. Um, so we introduced um, weekly, monthly, and uh, quarterly uh, iterations. Mm -hmm. So we have we weekly iterations, monthly increments, quarterly releases. Yep. Uh, we introduced um, the Kanban principle of planning. The what? Kanban principle, which means uh, you put the cards on the pin board and the uh, development team picks the cards. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, you don't have a push principle in right. planning. You have the pull principle. Yep. And you just say, okay, this is the amount of work you have to do as a development team. Yep. And it took the development team about three quarters of a year until they really learned 
oh wow we have the responsibility mm-hmm. and we have to care about it's not anymore that someone tells us what to do yep. and that was a major change the uh, key account managers had to learn that it was not only development it took us about well three weeks until the development really came up to speed and really delivered every week what was in the plan Actually, it was the time we figured out the velocity. And once we had the velocity, we could do reliable planning. Yep. And the uh, project manager said, well, that's interesting. Uh, we have plans mm-hmm. we could rely on. But um, I was very mean. I said, well, no, you don't l- rely on your plans because all we have now is the velocity for getting things into test. But it's your responsibility as key account managers. Mm-hmm. That's the way they were set up yeah. to test that stuff. Yeah. And no one tests. Yeah. You throw in all these red cards, things the client calls up yeah. and that break your duration planning <coughs> of the week. But it takes you three weeks to plan. Yeah. So uh, they got uh, rid of all these uh, throwing in red cards going aside of the planning. They uh, went into the plan. And about three months later, I always had this fight with the guys and said, no, this is the process. You're going to stick to that process. And about three week, uh, three months later, one of the key account managers said, guys, what the heck are we doing here? We are still fighting each other instead of sitting together and really uh, trying to get out of this mess mm. and figuring out what is really important and put that into... You're talking about how the uh, velocity is uh, calculated. And I was sitting there and saying, well, this guy is doing my job. Great. Mm-hmm. And it took an, another month and I backed out of the planning mm-hmm. and uh, started to concentrate more on development and architecture. And by that time, the second team that uh, had started to use XP uh, kind of got stuck. Um, it was, from now, we probably imposed too much new stuff on, on them. We imposed test-driven development on them. We imposed C-Sharp. Well, this was a Microsoft company, yep. so um, it was C-Sharp we, we had used. Uh, we imposed C-Sharp of them, which was new. We had to impose object-oriented design on them, mm. which they had no clue about. Yep. And we had to use, impose all these XP practices. And so it turned out that for everything that failed, XP was blamed. Mm-hmm. And um, we kind of um, sensed this threat that uh, uh, the organization would switch back Mm -hmm. because this one project failed. And so we stood up and said to the uh, executives, okay, guys, um, that was a nice try. We thought that would help, but for this and that and that reason, um, we think it's more appropriate uh, to cancel that project and have one development team and have this development team to come up Mm -hmm. to speed. And uh, the CEO was, uh, he could have said, well, you are the one to blame and blah, 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 blah. Goodbye. uh, goodbye, uh, (laughs) And we were pretty much expecting that. But by the way, we had enough success with the um, planning team Mm. and the clients were calling up the manager and saying, well, uh, we were about to sue you, but by now we see something is changing. And um, if you keep on changing Mm -hmm. and uh, if you keep on doing reliable things and if your quality involves, we're not going to sue you. Mm. So uh, we had this uh, success stream there and we also could show some success with the XP team. 
and we said, okay, uh, these guys have learned some stuff. They have learned how to set up fitness tests and so on. Mm. So let's start with putting acceptance tests into the whole team um, because unit tests were no way we, have, we had tried that. And uh, so we were able uh, to um, uh, start to do refactoring test-driven development with some of these developers. And eventually that started to spread. We're not through with that by now, but we're still... Um, uh, I think we are pretty much through with changing the mindset. Mm -hmm. So all the organization is now focused on delivering. Mm -hmm. They're focused on delivering value to the uh, customer. And if they uh, fall back to old practices, like not, not testing this stuff, yep. there will be something, uh, someone coming up and saying, okay, guys, we have to deliver value. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so with all the technical problems they still have, we do lots and lots of refactoring and uh, some of the most frustrated uh, entries in my blog about refactoring. You're still that project. doing this project right now. Yeah, right. Okay. And um, uh, come from that project. But um, I said to Giannis yesterday, we're... Uh, there's no land inside by now, but we have learned to swim. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're currently, well, there are first uh, return on investments visible, um, but we're no, not quite sure whether this is just because we tweak the statistics or whether there's really mm -hmm, return on mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this took more than a year by now, and it will, I think it will take them at least one more half to one year mm -hmm. and they still have to do uh, significant organizational changes mm -hmm. until they really run smoothly and are able to move on the market and really do strategic moves. So what's, what's, uh, what is it you, you learn from this project? I think the most important thing is uh, if you have lots and lots of legacy code, you can't ignore that. that. You can't just go over and switch to an agile way of mm -hmm. working. Mm -hmm. uh, because it slows you down so much. or It, it slows you down. Uh, you don't deliver value anymore. Mm -hmm. So what you have to do is a very careful approach, uh, a combination of uh, cleaning up the code base on the most important stuff, uh, setting up um, acceptance testing from outside black box testing, mm -hmm. changing the mindset, changing the planning organization. And all that has to be done at the same time, mm -hmm. uh, but each of them is dependent on each other. Mm -hmm. So th uh, this is a very um, complicated thing, and this is actually something I don't think you can do su successfully just by hiring someone who went to a two-day course. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I guess that was um, the list of examples you had prepared. Right. Why don't we uh, sum up all this stuff and um, call it a day? One of the lessons learned is retrospect is at the core of agile right. development, um, which pretty much complies to what Alistair says. Uh, uh, crystal clear as anything you do if you do regular retrospectives. Mm -hmm. If you do res retrospectives, the team will eventually start to uh, identify and uh, take responsibility and go into uh, agile practices. Mm -hmm. um, there is... Another lesson is uh, there's no such thing as very uh, light coaching introduction. Mm -hmm. You need to work with a team at least two days a week. Mm -hmm. And you need to work on all levels. You need mm -hmm. to work with the management. You need to work with the um, product uh, management, key account management, with mm -hmm. the uh, customer uh, representatives. And you have to work with the developers mm -hmm. and the testing team. 
Um, so you really have to have the whole vertical slice. Mm-hmm. I think it needs at least six months, usually um, about 12 months, until you have enough momentum to let the team run. To, to, to keep it running, it's, if you go and they continue to, have, yeah, yeah, right. to sustain to, the change. To have a sustainable change, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, six months is something, uh, uh, the, the kind of horizon I usually start with. Mm-hmm. Um, because after six months, uh, you really know the team. The team knows you. Mm-hmm. And you say, okay, uh, let's do that as a trial period. Yep. And after six months, we can see the direction. Mm-hmm. Enough momentum is 12, 18 months, something about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, y- usually have pretty fast first success stories um, after one or two iterations uh, when uh, the velocity is set and people see that they actually do deliver what they plan. Mm-hmm that you really have return investment is one to two years. Mm-hmm. And that is about the same time you need uh, until the uh, development team is really into it and doesn't know how to work differently anymore. Mm-hmm. Infected. If, it's, if the virus is spread, then yeah. you're done. But that yeah. takes time. Yeah. It's long incubation. Yeah. And uh, if agile development really works for one or two years, then... I think it's pretty robust against losing mm-hmm. some practices mm-hmm. because if the team has enough discipline to uh, do regular retrospectives, that will kind of correct itself. But you need management support. Um, agile management uh, is one of the cores. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't change the management attitude, if you don't change uh, the way management thinks, then you're lost. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can't do agile development without test-driven development. Mm -hmm. Because if you do that, uh, if you do these very fast iterations and you don't do test-driven development and refactoring, um, then you will mess up your architecture and uh, you won't be able to sustain that for longer than one or two years. Mm -hmm. And the last very important lesson I've learned is uh, legacy code is one of the major impacts on your introduction strategy mm-hmm. and it makes introduction much more complicated and uh, takes much more time to mm-hmm. introduce agile development mm-hmm. if you have a large basis of legacy code. Cool. So I guess we need some point a separate episo- episode on how to work with legacy code and we also will have an episode by the way on uh, retrospectives with uh, Linda Rising. We've planned to do that at QCon so that should be cool. Yeah, Linda is Definitely someone worth to listen to. Absolutely. So, Jens, thank you very much for being on the show. You're welcome. And uh, see you later at OOP. See you later. Thanks for listening to Software Engineering Radio. If you want more information about the podcast and all the other episodes visit our website at se-radio.net. If you want to support us, you can donate to the SE Radio team via the website or you can advertise for SE Radio, for example, by clicking on the Dick Reddit Delicious and Slashdot buttons. To contact the team, please send email to team at seradio.net or if it's specific to an episode, please use the comments facility on the website so other people can read and react to your comments. This episode of Software Engineering Radio, as well as all other episodes, are licensed under a Creative Commons license. Please see the website for details. Thanks to Charlie Crow and the Podsafe Music Network for the music used in this show. 
The song is called Vegas Hard Rock Shuffle. <laughs> 